Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in a capital devoid of people but full of sunshine. I'm Matthew O'Neill and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Rachel Hawks, founder of Harmonia Therapies, a holistic therapy provider in Kent. Rachel, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, before we actually address the subject of leadership, I think we need to address the subject of COVID-19. How has that Absolutely. affected your business? Um, it has decimated, I think, is the word that would spring to mind. Yes. Um, obviously, I, the, the well-being center that, that I run is a hands-on therapy center. Mm. Sorry, my apologies. And, um, you know, the difficulty that you've got with that is obviously we can't do those type of therapies at the moment. Of course. And um, is there any sort of uh, light at the end of the tunnel uh, with regards to being able to set up some sort of off-site facility or uh, virtual well, I, appointments? I think, it's, I, think that's a, I think for a lot of therapies, they will go online. I think a lot of people are realizing that talking therapies can be tremendously beneficial at the moment. Um, so, it, you know, there's something that I've reached out to existing clients and said, you know, look, if I can help with, um, you know, self-care, then I'm happy to do that kind of on a virtual platform. But I think the thing is, is that, you know, it's one of these things, we're just going to weather the storm. Mm. Do you believe that this is going to have a permanent effect on your business? Uh, I hope not, because uh, one of the things that I promote quite, um, quite continually with my business is building relationships. I think with any type of therapy business, one of the key fundamentals is that you have um, support from the person that you're building that relationship with. Uh, that builds over time, which is really important. Um, mm. And I think, you know, the, the key is with these things is that you know, you hope that those relationships that you've built will see you through times like this. Now, moving on to the subject of leadership, I always like to start the conversation off with a very simple question, which is, what does the word leader mean to you? Oh, that's a very interesting one. I think a leader for me, and it's, it's interesting that um, this made me really think, coming on this podcast really made me think about this. I think it's it's a person who is able to bring out the strength in those people around them. Mm. Mm. And how and do you we can, how see, do you, we can see it really clearly at the moment? I think. And how do you encourage that within your staff? Um, I'm very very lucky because we all work together. Um, I don't actually have any employees. We are all part of the same team. And it was something that I felt when I was setting up the centre, it was something that I felt really strongly about, that if we all come into it with the same ethos, then actually we all support each other. And with that support, you help build each other's business. Do you find it takes a different sort of leadership to, uh, to lead a group of equals? Yes, definitely. How so? I think when you have employees, which I've had before as well, um, there has to be a line between encouraging and 
I would say demanding, but I don't mean demanding, more right. a question of encouraging that skill set to come out and for people to work well individually. I think when you work as a team of equals, you're more prone to encourage those strengths because you see those strengths in that team around you. Mm. Now, of course, uh, people don't always get on uh, and there is conflict from time to time. How do you resolve that within uh, your firm? Communication. Mm -hmm. I think it's the key thing. I think if you if you encourage open communication with you know team members, employees, um, I think the difficulty is if you try and create too much hierarchy and you know you have to go to the next line manager or you know your team manager or you know director, um, you can create a almost a cascade of he said she said. But I think if you open up communication where people are able to talk more freely, um, actually things don't escalate, situations don't escalate. Mm. And of course, uh, within your organization, you came from a a, a different background, didn't you? You came from a sales and marketing background before you got into this. How does does it compare that uh, what I would assume was a rather corporate culture uh, in your old uh, uh, career? compare with uh, this new experience of this kind of holistic firm? Well, it's really, it's interesting you should bring that up, actually, because it's a foundation. You know, I think the, as you said, the, the culture is very, very different. Um, and moving on into my business and how I wanted that to be, I took the elements of, that corporate environment and I could really hone that in and the things I didn't like which was things like this hierarchy um and you know you're talking about you know getting people getting on I mean we've all been in situations where your immediate line manager you don't get on with for whatever reason there's a personality clash and especially in sales um you know that can that can have quite you know I've been in positions where that has a quite a big effect on your day-to-day work um but having that foundation of knowing how that corporate environment works enables me to say i don't want to create that again so if we all come in as equals where we support each other and we open up communication and it's interesting this morning i've just been we've got our own whatsapp group because obviously we can't see each other um and we've all been popping in there, you know. We make I make sure that we we meet regularly, regardless. You know, it will be virtual now, so that if there are things that are troubling us or worrying us, that we have an open forum. Now, do you have um, any sort of uh, words of uh, wisdom for relaxation to people uh, suffering from stress due to the COVID nineteen outbreak? Yes. Wow. Yes, I have. <laughs> I, I, we could do a podcast just on that if you fancy doing that at some point. But um, yes, my whole thing is, you know, everything has changed. Our day-to-day lives are, are in, mm. you know, are, are in massive disarray, regardless of where you are. Um, try, I think, number one is don't worry if you can't emulate 
the day that you had because the problem is people beat themselves up over that and that's something you can't control. But I think if you can put points of um, routine in place, I would say, you know, get up at the same time. Um, personally, I like to set an intention for the day. It could be something really small. It could be, I'm not going to check social media for an hour. It, you know, it doesn't have to be a big life-changing intention. Um, get changed. You know, face each day with, you know, you've had a shower, you're up, you set your intention, and you're ready to face it. Because I think it really helps our mental well-being. And I'm, I'm, it's something that I think is affecting a lot of people at the moment. Um, people who normally aren't even thinking about these things are now juggling being at home, home educating the kids, partners are at home, it, lots of people are still running their own businesses. You know, I am still running another business online at the same time. Um, and just be a bit gentle with yourself that you can't get it all done. Well, it, that's the most important thing is to remember that we, we can't get everything that we need to get done done at this time. It's an exceptional time, isn't it? Uh, I, I 100% agree. And of I course, think it, you know, please carry on. I, well, I think, it, I think it's hitting people. You know, I think I've got, a, I've got a, uh, a Facebook group of um, mindful parenting, which is a, another, another side of my business. And, you know, that's what I've been popping in there all the time to say. You know, you can't be the perfect teacher the perfect mum, the perfect cleaner, you know, the perfect running your own business, the perfect dog, you know, whatever it is, you, you've just got to just, first of all, have that acknowledgement. It's okay if you don't get it all done. Mm. Absolutely. We will still get up tomorrow and it will still be another day. And, um, you know, we don't know how long the situation is going to last and that losing that control is very scary for a lot of people. Right. Um, so I think, you know, from a self-care point of view, putting some, some routine into to your day, regardless of how you structure everybody else, gives you those moments of control that will enable you to face the rest of the day. Well, unfortunately, uh, the rest of the day is upon us. Uh, we've run out of time. Uh, but, well, thank you very much. But before I let you go, what does the next uh, 12 months have in store for Harmonia Therapies? I think it'll be exciting times. I think, you know, we're seeing amazing community come together. I think there are some some really great positives that will come out of a, you know, a devastating situation for the world. Mm. Um, but I think communities will be much stronger. I think from a business point of view, um, you know, those businesses that can see themselves through this period will be reinvigorated in a way that maybe they haven't been for years because people will be far more focused. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there'll be a lot more goodwill out there as well, which will benefit a lot of businesses. Well, Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you today, and I do hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future. I would love to, and Rachel, thank you very thank much you. for inviting me. That was Rachel Hawks, founder of Harmonia Therapies. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. 
Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, they, they quite always mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is 
at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against 
Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's—I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, 
Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing it at a dinner in, in the Channel Islands, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour, mm-hmm. and this occasion I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well... Uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, 
and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later. Well, I think we were I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about. Uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We have some great players, you... we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. 
And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.